Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Two Real Cinema Club. My name is Andres Lorente. And I am James Rosica. Uh, and uh, every episode on the Two Real Cinema Club, we watch two movies. We watch a new movie and an old movie, and then we try to connect the dots somehow. At least that's that's like the that's the starting point. But I've figured out recently, I think the, the pod is basically me being a conduit for creating a music anecdotes from Andrews. I think that's mostly how it works. I know. I think it's more uh, uh, a means for you to talk about and knowledgeably talk about lots of films, and I just sort of listen and then occasionally wisecrack. I think that's what you would call it. <laughs> it's some wisecracking. I'm nothing more than a wisecracker. You mean you, mean you have better material than me, basically. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the straight man. We're both the straight man. We're two straight men. Too much straightness, so I guess we get serious <laughs> fast, huh? Uh, this week, we're sort of doing a tale of two teachers. We are looking at and talking about um, The Substitute, which I guess, I don't know if it was El Suplente. I, I forgot to look at the uh, Spanish title. It's an Argentine film by uh, Diego Lerman um, from 2022, which is currently on Netflix. And we are comparing that to a film that goes by a couple of titles. The original French title, I think, is Entre les Murs. Or between the Walls. Now it's like La Classe. Yeah, Between the Walls. And now it's, I think I read it, I watched it under the title La Classe or The Class. I forget. Yes. Yep. yep. That's what it's under here. And that's probably on um, 2008 or something like that. Yeah. So yeah I, th- I think shot in 2007, released in 2008. So yeah. we're, in fact, won the Palm Door, isn't it, in, in 2008? Yeah. I yeah. Think. And I think I, I had read that it was one of the first films or the first film in a long time to actually win the Palm Door at Cannes. Um, as a French film, like I guess a French film uh-huh. had, hadn't won in a while. And Sean Penn, who I think was the, what do they call it, the lead juror or the... the, the yeah. He uh, said it was a, 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 a what, not anonymous, a, come on, unanimous. Woo! Unanimous. <laughs> it was an anonymous decision. I, <laughs> I think it has to be <laughs> They're, They all voted it. for it, but no one put their name on the sheet of paper. I think I am losing my mind. I'm starting to lose words here and there. That's just not a good sign. <laughs> It makes for life a uh, very funny life, but it's uh, it's not a good sign. We should let's do the show, socials while we still got some command yeah, of yeah. language. We're about to head back to school, which is exactly where <laughs> I need to go. But you need to head to the internet and get your friends to head there too. On Twitter at Two Real Cinema Club at twitter.com. Instagram Two Real Cinema Club at Instagram.com. Read the blog Two Real Cinema Club.com. Email us at tworealcinemaclub dot no at, at gmail dot com excuse me and tell your friends you can find us on the Apple Podcasts the Google Podcasts Spotify or wherever else you get your podcasts and on YouTube and on YouTube so there you go there's the there's the those there's the socials I done them so uh, we should crack on let's do the first film is this the, yeah. this is the first time we've done an Argentine film I think on the pod is that right yeah probably it yeah. must be yeah. So this is, uh, yeah, Diego Lerman, um, who made a couple of other films that I noted. Let me get back to my other notes here. Uh, I'd sort of, when I looked at trailers, I kind of recognized the other films. One was called A Sort of Family. Fact, and another, yeah, I haven't seen that. And another one, Refugado. Refugado. Um, the, the Invisible Eye, I think is what it's called. In- oh, yeah. Didn't, didn't see the, didn't see an English title. Um Okay. He wrote this one with um, Maria Meira and Luciano de Mello. Um, stars uh, Juan Minujín as Lucio and Alfredo Castro as his father, El Chileno. They call him the Chilean. Um, worldwide gross of $17,000 US. 
and that's why it's uh, that's why it's largely premiering on Netflix exactly. in the, rest of the world. Yeah, I think we'll probably talk about this later, but it seems like a new, especially with a writer strike coming on, it seems like a new format for Netflix is to sort of pick up some maybe cheap international films and uh, and push them for a little while into the algorithm, and then that leads you to something else, I guess. Yeah, it's it's good that they get an audience. I think absolutely okay. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, why don't, why don't you do you want to tell us a story? I will tell you a story. And the story is sort of about a storyteller. Lucio is a poet. It opens at a book talk. He's published something. I guess it's a book of poetry, uh, but seemingly to little acclaim. And he, he wanders aloud in this very small um, audience in a bookstore somewhere, a very dark bookstore, by the way. Hard to read when you don't have enough light. You know what I'm saying? I think I was always told to turn on a light if you're going to read something. These Argentine hippies, I guess they sit in dark rooms reading. Um, he wonders aloud sort of what is the value of literature, both at the book talk and then later to his students where he's uh, he's accepted a substitute pe- teaching gig um, that he's, I guess, taken uh, to make ends meet as a writer. Uh, through the course of the film, he is slowly moving into a new apartment where he can host his teenage daughter after a recent divorce, uh, where his ex-wife now has a girlfriend, so they're living separately. Uh, Lucio's father is known as the Chilean, as I mentioned before, El Chileno, um, in the same neighborhood where the school is located. Um, uh, his father, they allude to his sickness, probably with cancer, me- medical opinion from you, Dr. Yeah, I think it, yeah. it looks like he's getting chemo, so I'm okay. pretty sure he has some kind of cancer. So he's a neighborhood character who's developing a community center to feed the poor. Um, the protagonist uh, is sort of Lucio, um, but I would say the antagonist for both the Chileno and maybe by Lucio is this character named Olmos. Uh, known as the dog, um, the dog, who kind of unbelievably is running for mayor at the same time as he's running <laughs> drugs around the city for a living. So, um, and being the antagonist while only appearing in I think two scenes I, in the entire film. I had three, but the first one he's just <laughs> watching them drive away. So I don't know if that counts or not. But um, the inciting in- in- incident ultimately is um, there's a military police sort of um, the, the military police come and execute this drug bust right in Lucio's classroom. Drugs are found on a few of his students, um, but there's some thought that the drugs were planted in a political plot to favor either the current mayor, who's never uh, shown on screen, his name is Sanchez, uh, against the dog, or maybe vice versa. Maybe the dog planted drugs in the school uh, to make Sanchez looks bad, look bad. Um, the drug bust ultimately divides the school and the faculty. Um, and it puts teachers like Lucio under Ministry of Education observation. So a lot of the time that he's actually teaching in this classroom, he's being observed by this uh, uh, adjudicator or supervisor or whatnot. Uh, some students even refer- refuse to return to classes. And uh, Dylan, who is a favorite teacher, a favorite student of uh, Lucio, um, and a guy who helps out uh, uh, the Chileno at the uh, community center, he sort of disappears into hiding because we assume the dogs, goons. When I say the dogs, that's the um, uh, the the antagonist, uh, the antagonist. almost. His goons are looking for uh, Dylan. Uh, in the meantime, Lucio's personal life gets quite messy. Um, his daughter Sol is reluctant to test for a private school that Lucio wants her to attend. Um, his father's health deteriorates and. He sort of begins a physical relationship ever so briefly with a co-worker at school, another teacher. Which is a great surprise scene, actually. I didn't see that one coming at all. Uh, I don't know whether you did. I loved how sloppy and improvised it was. It was uh, 
<laughs> he's actually, it's very realistic to me. That's why I like it. It's one of my favorite scenes. Uh, not a, not a traditionally uh, the graphic uh, intimacy scene, but um, uh, I think realistic and well done, actually. I'm interested to hear from the, from the teacher side of you how realistic it is that the teachers are, are leaving campus at lunchtime to go and make out in their apartment. Ooh. Not in my experience. I will say that at the American School in London where I did teach, that sort of thing happened a bit more often than anywhere else oh. I've seen it. But that's the London effect, I suppose. So I'm so, I don't know. I won't, I won't, I better shut up right now. Let's, shall we, re- I think let's quickly, now that we're talking about the making out, we yeah. should quickly ring the spoiler bell actually before well, we do the second half of the please movie. Please do, because, yeah. There's a little bit of spoiler. Let's, let's go, spoiler bell now, spoiler bell, here it comes. Okay, you may now spoil with impunity. God, that reminds me of all the bells I've heard in school over the years. <laughs> Keep you in line. Some some of the ones that start class I don't like. The ones that end classes I love. <laughs> Everyone loves that bell. Oh, God. Um, El Chileno's hospitalized. The dog briefly confronts. Is this his second or maybe third? I think it's his last scene. I think you're right. Maybe it is only yeah, two yeah. scenes. <laughs> The dog briefly confronts with very little menace in a hospital bathroom. Um, he's approaching uh, Lucio. This bathroom is so unhygienic that it suggests the hospital itself has uh, uh, located next to the like the toxic aftermath of some dirty bomb <laughs> war or something like that. It's just, it's unrealistic. I would never do business in a hospital that has this kind of men's room. It's just awful. Um, but um, with his father's help, and in his words, uh, El Chileno says, no one saves himself on his own. That seemed to be a thematic statement. Uh, Lucio is able to find Dylan. So they're helping Dylan, who's kind of in danger. Um, they hatch this plan to sneak the young man into Uruguay, um, but not before El Chileno's it was overtly foreshadowed death. I think we all knew this was coming. This is kind of the classic end of uh, Act Two. Something has to die, and you just knew El Chileno was going to die at some point, and uh, so it wasn't very surprising. I don't um, think you know he's going to die because in the scene before the scene where he dies, yeah. he starts coughing very ostentatiously. There you go. He? Which is, <laughs> that's um, going to be a call to the cliche squad later. Character who coughs is dead in the next next scene. I'm not a doctor, so I didn't catch up on that. But I think I was actually a little sick when I watched the film, so I was coughing too. So maybe I thought I was going to die. Um, there's a bit of a drama at the end, uh, at the opening of the community center. So after uh, El Chileno has died, um, they sort of do this combination wake for El Chilano, but also this opening of the center. Um, but uh, one of Dylan's classmates and Lucio's students, uh, Kevin, Shows up and he sort of poisons this stew that they're all about to eat as this big first community meal. Um, it's a means of taking revenge, I guess, on El Chileno. Uh, Dylan eventually blows the whistle and, and he stops serving the soup and saves everyone, saves the day. Uh, the film's climactic action scene follows, um, where the dog's goons chase Dylan and Lucio, who's driving, comes to the rescue. Um, yeah. Before, wait for it, wait for it. A small herd of horses cuts <laughs> off the goon's car for about two crucial seconds, and then Dylan <laughs> is safely driven away to uh, the bus station in Lucio's car, and he's on his way to Montevideo. Horses. Only in Buenos Aires, eh? That's how it works. <laughs> yep, yep. I would actually say not even in Buenos Aires does that work, <laughs> but maybe, maybe. Okay, there's a final discussion of literature um, in the soul. He's talking about literature and uh, you know how literature and the soul in the... The last day of classes uh, with his students, Lucio's doing this, um, and his students were heretofore like on the verge of death by ennui. 
Um, it seemed very bored and inactive in classes. And the ministry man um, observing also, everyone erupts into applause for Lucio. It's very, uh, whew, it's odd. It's an odd reaction. <laughs> uh, and the story, uh, did I say there was a story? I guess there's a story. I'm sorry. The film just kind of ends right there. That's it. Um, so there's this theme of literature being useless, which we might get to later as well. Um, or what is the point of literature? It sort of opens, and it's sort of like this bookend, because they're talking in the book um, launch or the book reading in the bookstore, they're talking about the usefulness of literature and who's it for and whatnot. And then at the very end, all of a sudden, the, um, the theme of literature comes back, um, literature and the soul. And the students are actually finally sort of speaking quite eloquently about it, but it seems like a very odd ending, and everyone's like standing up and cheering this, this teacher who they paid no attention to. In fact, <laughs> there's this one character, it's wonderful, this one, one character who has slept through the entire school year. <laughs> on that last day, he chips in on the conversation, and Lucio says, hey, welcome, wake up, or welcome to the, welcome to the world. I hope you had a good sleep sort of thing. Um, so that is uh, The Substitute. <laughs> Yes, a substitute for a coherent story somehow, yeah. isn't it? I'll t- tell you what I wrote at the top of my notes. Yeah. I wrote, this is inner city school movie type A. Because <laughs> it, fe- it feels like there's some kind of like some tick box sheet that you can buy when you're making an inner city school yeah. movie. And it, it, they've ticked all of the boxes because it has drugs, it has poverty, yeah. it has violence, it has gangs. And then the extra box, which most movies don't tick, is it has a tiny herd of horses as well to foil the bad guy's plot at the end of the film. It ticks all of those boxes. Yeah. Yes, they've done them all. Horses. My biggest question about the film is, did Lucio arrange for the horses to intervene? Because if he does that, it's brilliant. But I think it was just supposed to be uh, like a happy accident. I, did, I think the guy with the horses looked like he was waiting for a cue. I think I think it had been arranged, but it's a, very, it's a weird... Deus Ex Machina, isn't oh my it? God. Utterly, uh, bizarre. I mean, good fun. I tell you what, I didn't see it coming. <laughs> no. <laughs> so I would have expected like expert driving would have saved the day or some sort of police intervention or an explosion somewhere, but I did not see the horses coming. <laughs> I didn't even hear them. I didn't even hear the galloping coming in. That was the other thing. <laughs> It's a little bit like watching, you know, like a, another version of the Bourne Ultimatum, where Bourne is trying to get away from the bad guys, but he presses a button and some zebra appear, and that's, <laughs> that's what, what saves him. Um, the second thing I wrote on my notes about this movie, I don't know whether you will agree with this, is that basically, you know, if you had to explain to somebody what the story is, I think it counts as a fish out of water story. I think that's what we're supposed to kind of take home from it. If it's like a four-word four summary, it's a fish out of water. Okay. You know, we start out with this guy who's extremely kind of intellectual and yeah. very academic and very literary, and then he's exposed to these kids who don't like to read and they're not interested in what he's got to say. And I think yep. that's kind of what it's supposed to be about. But I came away feeling what I wrote here is the fish is not strongly defined. I mean, like... By the end of the movie, he seems to have been teaching these kids like for a whole year because it's like he tells them, oh, you know, you've all passed the class, you've, that's the end of the year. Yeah. And I don't, has he been a substitute for a whole year then? Yeah. Or did he join the class later on, I guess, because it's, you know, the title of the film is The Substitute. The yeah. Amalia, the principal, sort of welcomes him in and introduces him to some folks. I had the yeah. sense that he was there for most of the year, but the, the, honestly, the storyline couldn't be more than a couple months, maybe. I mean, I think you could tell the same story within a, within 10 days or a week. So I think you're right. But he, he is giving the, 
the grades at the end. Maybe there's a big jump from the that final scene where Dylan gets out of the country and uh, the last day of school occurs, but you don't, you know, it never says five months later or something like that. Yeah, uh, maybe. The one thing that I thought was sort of defining his character as well as the timeline was, and I, maybe you noticed this, maybe you didn't, um, his dress gets kind of messier and messier and less formal as the story lapses. Uh-huh. I mean, he's at the early going, he's kind of dressed as he was in that bookstore uh, reading. And then by the end, he's wearing a T-shirt and dirty pants. And I don't know if it was just to show what he had gone through or did that suggest that that climax scene in the car chase was just hours before the last day of school? It was a little unclear, but I mean, I think that was to show his journey. His story arc was basically his, his clothes start rotting on his body, but... Um, <laughs> I don't know. It was, uh, yeah, I, I do agree with you. I mean, I think the trailer is a much different film. The trailer tells this gritty story about the drugs and the violence. Um, and then there are all these peering kind of almost horror film shots that sort of evoke menace in this film. You have a lot of like distant camera angles to making it seem like someone else is watching uh, Lucio or watching other characters through. And I think that's the menace of maybe the the antagonist almost. But you know, it felt like a horror film in those moments. Um, I think in the, if you look at the trailer, I would have thought this was a, mostly about running drugs through a school or something like that. Um, so, it, yeah, it, does, it doesn't add up. We'll talk about maybe how the, the story adds up or doesn't add up um, soon. But, uh, yeah, I think uh, in relation to what you said, A Fish Out of Water, one of my favorite lines in this whole film was when El Chileno says, if you want to fish, you have to get your ass wet. <laughs> so that is in there. Um, uh, yeah, 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 absolutely. Fair enough. It is. It is. I mean, I wonder, I think, I think the way that these kind of, uh, movies, this kind of, you know, inner city school movie type A works is to do with the investment of the protagonist. So you need to have this guy, you know, he comes along, he's a fish out of water. He's from, you know, another, another walk of life, mm. but he needs to kind of really invest in these kids, um, so that when they are under threat, you know, when they're in real trouble, not only does he feel motivated to help them out, but also he has to have some skin in the game, I think. Yes. Yeah. So he needs to have like his own investment. And I think you know, that is really missing from this story. I'm not really sure what his stakes are. I mean, so, you know, he he like helps his father occasionally setting up the community kitchen, but you never particularly feel threatened there. Um, and it's not like anyone is really shaking their fist at the father. Uh, after the father dies, you know, what are the stakes then? I don't feel like, you know, the daughter or the ex-wife are under any kind of threat. And you know, and I'm kind of aware that if, if it was a movie where Olmos the dog kidnaps the daughter or takes mm. the ex-wife as a hostage or something, then suddenly it turns into a Liam Neeson picture, which is... Yeah. You know, probably what the trailer implies, but yeah. it's not what the film is. No. But without those stakes, the story kind of feels just a bit half-finished for me. Mm. I feel like, you know, Lucia has some sort of moral obligation to try and look after the one good kid in his class, but it doesn't feel like there's any anything pressurizing him any harder than that well that's what that's what i wrote i wrote this film is way underwritten so i think we're we're kind of hitting at the same idea um for me there were just a number of sort of weak or abandoned storylines the the daughter's storyline of trying to get into this school even though she doesn't want to go but her parents want her to apply it's not particularly compelling and it's not really explored very much 
Yeah. There's this neighbor business, which I thought could have been really interesting, was that he was, you know, as he's moving into his neighbor, he's drilling holes in the middle of the night and hanging paintings and things. And the neighbor starts to complain and you see her once and she disappears. So his home life isn't really explored. We, you know, just as his clothing deteriorates, his his apartment sort of gets decorated. Um which you but know, barely. these are kind of storytelling pieces, but they're not like a lot. That's not a, like a storyline. They're just sort of uh, little um, adornments, I guess, that don't really add up. And yeah, it, except it, they're like jigsaw pieces from a different jigsaw, isn't it? They yeah. don't actually come into the you know the picture that we're trying to make. They're just other extra little pictures. Why yeah. does he do all his DIY in the dark? By the way, it's funny they have that they have like the the book launch in the dark, and yes. then he's doing his DIY at night in the dark as yeah. well. I was screaming at the screen. Just turn some lights on for God's sake if you're yeah. going to drill. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, again, it might be, you know, this is probably a low enough budget film where light, they couldn't afford bulbs there was, <laughs> or there wasn't much, uh, you know, location lighting. They may have just been using natural or available light, but it's still, it's, yeah, it's just a bad decision, I think. I don't know. Um, I've got a pretty cheap drill and it's got a decent oh, light on the that's front. Right. <laughs> it's got the little light. Yeah. Well, I think maybe we're supposed to assume that he's so busy, he's correcting papers, he's teaching all day, he's caring for his daughter at night is when he can hang a painting. <laughs> I don't know. And put up shelves. He was putting up some shelves, too. So he showed some good home improvement skills and some, <laughs> some DIY. I, know, I mean, I do feel like he spent more time doing DIY than he did preparing lessons. It's Absolutely. interesting you say, oh, you know, he hasn't got time because he's correcting papers. But I never saw him correct a paper. I don't think I remember seeing him plan a lesson. The actual meat of the teaching business just doesn't really seem to occur. Yeah. It's just like he turns up and improvises some motivational speeches about the soul. Yeah. Um, and eventually, at the end of the movie, he's improvised so many of these motivational speeches that one of the kids at the back finally wakes up for the last That's one right. that he did. I love that one, yeah. Um, we both complained about the antagonist who appears perhaps three times. He's not very menacing. Um, I think you know from the get-go that the father's going to die. It's just like overly <laughs> set up. Um, <laughs> the dog agrees there. Yeah, I heard that. Yeah, the dog agrees. Um, so, you know, the act two death uh, is no surprise. And just kind of throughout there just lacks tension and any proper antagonist. So I it just didn't – I actually had to look up a word. Yeah, yeah, okay. So I said nothing in this film adds up. I wanted to sound smart, so I looked up the word addends. Addends are like when you – four plus two. Four and two are the addends. They don't equate too much. That's why I tried to make it mathematical. <laughs> They were talking about literature. I've, I learned the value of mathematics watching this film. Um, <laughs> that's, that's, that's magnificent. So thank you. sigma is low is what we're trying to say for this. Yes. I guess so, yeah. <laughs> it requires so more integration. So it just doesn't, it doesn't come across as like a complete story by any means. And I, th I think you probably had the same experience. i tell you what I put in my... I was so pleased with this. Um, this film, The Substitute, and the old film that we'll be talking about later, um, oh, yeah. The Class, um, they both have scenes where they discuss the fine points of grammar, tense and mood. And, it's, and, and mood and tension are the things that seem to be lacking in this film because of a lack of grammar in the shape of the script. That's what I wrote. Oh. I was so proud of that when I wrote it. Now that I've said it out loud, it doesn't seem quite as clever, I'm afraid. But... Uh, to me, it does. We both sound smart on this podcast. <laughs> Yay, us. <laughs> Yay, us. <laughs> um, I, I mean, and another way of kind of suggesting the way that the film is underwritten is that um, I think I've, I, I made a little note how the, the whole structure of the film feels sloppy. We, we start, like you say, in this normal world for Lucio, this kind of literary uh, world that he moves in. And then yeah. we go to Buenos Aires and we never look back. It's so, like having like an act one, 
like in the in the classroom he meets the kids and then maybe sort of act two begins with the discovery of the drugs and that starts the proper story but yep. i was struggling to think is there really a midpoint you know is there a dramatic turn that creates the third act the whole thing kind of feels very loose it's a bit oh and then this happens and then that happens yeah um, and and one event doesn't really lead to another it's not like you know the sad moment of the father's death is then the catalyst that leads to the final denouement there's nothing like that these events occur but they could occur in any order and they don't feel kind of connected yeah they're kind of thematically connected but not narratively connected yeah so you end up with something which just feels a bit unsatisfying agreed agreed and then there are a couple i think as sort of like a smaller independent filmmaker there are these um little camera tricks or or uh, techniques that are maybe disguise the lack of story um so that did you notice reflection shots in windows and uh, through yeah. windows through glass constantly and i know it's supposed to be some sort of very profound insight into the characters but it just kind of made for briefly confusing scenes and sort of a, a ruse <laughs> to make things interesting i just didn't get anything from them um are the students seeing him clearly? Does he see himself clearly? Do we see him clearly? I wasn't really sure why there were so many shots like that. Uh, there's a yeah, beautiful shot of him kind of running behind um, some glass squares at the hospital. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's that kind of setup where you think, oh, it's demonstrating how his character is becoming fractionated or yeah. divided. or but, yeah, but it doesn't actually tie to the narrative at all. And it looks a lot like whoever was DOP said, hey, there's some great glass squares here, let's use those. <laughs> exactly. But, oh, but it's fine, it's fine. Uh, you know, maybe it looks good in the trailer, I don't know. i tell you what, um, for all the police elements in this movie, we have our own squad that we should probably call oh, in now. Call them, call them. Squad. <laughs> Ah, uh, the cliche squad, our friends, come and rescue us. So uh, I'm afraid that <laughs> Go the, ahead. the substitute... Get us going, um, get us going. You have some of guess, yeah, has, you know, going to have a few indictments. So I already mentioned the character who coughs and then is dead in the next scene. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, some of the other ones I wrote down, we have rebellious teenagers who look like 24 to 26-year-olds. Yeah. Um, you know, they don't look nearly as long as young as I think they're supposed to be. I love this notion of the kid in school who pays no attention to the lesson at all until he's allowed to rap. And, <laughs> and then he gets to kind of express his individuality by doing a rap and then he disappears for the rest of the film. Yeah. Um, and then my other one, this is such great shorthand. We have a drug lord and we want to show that he's a bit crazy. So he's called the dog and he barks like a dog. Ah, yes. It's, it's kind of, it's such kind of super, super simple shorthand for someone who is crazy. Oh, that's why they called him the dog. <laughs> ah, now I get it. <laughs> woof, woof. Yeah. Um, well, I think, as you said, it was sort of a, a, a write by numbers, a paint by numbers, a film by numbers kind of script. And the numbers just were out of order, as you said, or <laughs> the add ends didn't add up. Um, but. There are all those familiar touchstones, I think, and that that sort of it makes it at least feel, seem familiar. It seems like a movie, honestly, because you've seen this movie before. Um, for me, unmotivated students just uh, students are just sitting there yep. doing nothing or sleeping in class. You see some of that, but um, I think that's always overplayed. Um, I think the roughness of the the urban school environment is a bit of a cliche. It's real, sure, but. Um, you know, why do they always have to have drugs? You said the drugs. Why do they always have to have drug busts in them or troubled students in them? And um, I think those are some of the bigger cliches. Um, for me, yeah. uh, 
El Chileno, just calling someone the American or the Chilean. This seems to come up. I see it in literature, too. Hemingway did a lot. Oh, the American, you know. Uh, so you always see uh, people reduced to their uh, citizenship in some way, and that helps you to identify, identify them. Um, but, yeah, I think they're, yeah, they're just sort of a, a good number of cliches in there. And as I said, even the technique almost gets a little bit cliched with the, uh, the reflections and the glass scenes and all that that you mentioned, too. So, oof. It's a shame because you know, it clearly hasn't been made with very much money. Um, yeah. You know, and, I, and I feel a little bit rude really complaining about, um, you know, some of these shortcomings. But um, as we will probably find, you know, in a few minutes time when we come back and talk about the second film, it is possible to do a lot with a little if you think very hard about about the story and yeah. the characters. In the, yeah, in the next film. I, w- I would say that, and this might sort of segue into the next film too, is that there are these brief discussions on, um, or meditations, I guess, on the value of literature. And I think we see that in the, in the next film as well. Um, it's not what this movie is really about. Um, and even though, as I said at the beginning, like those discussions sort of bookend this whole this whole film. And I'm just wondering, like he obviously wanted to make some sort of film about literature and... It's it's just not this movie. It's very it's not odd. This movie, those, is it? Yeah. Those are important sequences in this film, but it's not that movie at all. So, for what it's worth, there is a like a higher uh, higher objective, I think, with the film, but it doesn't really quite reach it. It's interesting when there are three writers connected uh, to the to the script, and you kind of think, well, I wonder whether you know there are two different writers who brought in two completely different stories, and then they were somehow melded together by the third writer. Yeah who took story elements from each of them and then sewed them into a full-length feature. Yeah. You know, that's it's kind of a little bit like it feels. Yeah, it's a very good possibility. Uh, okay, so this is The Substitute um, uh, on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Catch it now. Let's have a break, and then yeah. we'll come back and talk about a completely different um, school film. We'll talk about The Class. Yeah. <laughs> This next sponsorship is exciting (laughs) because we are actually announcing here on this program the merger of two businesses that are both good friends of ours. (gasps) As promised earlier, the great people at Tube Eat and you were were waiting for it. You knew this was going to happen. And Iliostomy Associates have merged (laughs) to form... And I think, Jimmy, we can help them because they need to do a refocus focus group on the name for their company here. Tube Eat and Tube Excrete. (laughs) It's the most complete and discreet, wow, nutrition processing diet on the market today. (laughs) It's coming, it's coming. With this merger between two trusted brands, Tube Eat and Tube Excrete offer a top-to-bottom experience of... (laughs) ingestion, digestion, and elimination. Simply put, they have you covered. (laughs) Remember, Tube Eat offers a variety of vitamin and mineral-laden prepared meals pre-mixed and ready to go directly from their eco-plastic feed bags into your Tube Eat receptacle port. Tube Excrete has collaborated to re-engineer the feed bags to allow unprecedented (laughs) retro-compatibility. That's right. The feed bag becomes the elimination vessel. (laughs) Simply relocate it from the intake or receptacle port to the outtake or elimination point. 
You can still enjoy the flavor packets when you upload your meal and then enjoy the added convenience of the new flowerful, <laughs> naturally scented eco-plastics when you download your meal. <laughs> it's finally true. Your excrement really does smell like roses. <laughs> the traffic and trouble-free future of feeding is here and it is now with Tube Eat, Tube Excrete. Welcome to solid and non-solid food and waste management for an uninterrupted feeding and digestive experience. Welcome to the fast and effortless caloric uploading and downloading of the future. Welcome to Tube Eat and Tube Excrete. I was going to suggest, I think, Smooth Moves or Smooth Movements as a name for the merger. What do, what do you think of a different name? I feel like there should be something to do with cutting out the middleman. back uh after after a quick uh meal uh we're going to talk about uh the second movie in tonight's dull bill uh which is the class la classe um i think released uh internationally as entre les murs mm-hmm. between the walls uh 2008 film directed by laurent conte um who was himself the son of school teachers um so uh, he made uh, a bunch of films before this a film called human resources which did quite well which i haven't seen a film called time out uh, which i have seen did you see that time out remind me i'm gonna take a look at so it, it's yeah. a film about a guy i think he works like in some kind of um eu sort of governmental type office and he gets made redundant or sacked and he can't bear to tell his friends and family so he just uh, he just doesn't tell them and he said he leaves the house and just parks his car in a lay-by for nine hours a day and then comes back and and he pretends that he's been going to work. I didn't see that, no. Uh, um, yeah, no. Uh, and I think it's kind of based on a true story. And in the true story, um, the guy who was faking going to work realised he was running out of money, so he started embezzling from his friends and family. Mm. Um, and in the film, the guy does something a little bit similar, but then has a change of heart at the end and, and sort of gives the money back. So it's okay. a bit of a happier ending than the real life one. Mm. But, um, you know, kind of a, you know, a fun, interesting, uh, quite humane film. Yeah. This came out in 2008, won the Palm d'Or, uh, as we said earlier, was, had an Oscar nomination for foreign language film in 2009, did pretty well. Yeah. And it's written by the actor, I believe. Is that correct? It is. Yes. Yeah. So Francois uh, Begadeau. Um, yep. who uh, is the star of the film. Yep. Uh, and he also wrote the book on which the film is based. He was um, a teacher. Uh, so I think he was a writer and a teacher, um, wrote the book and then uh, starred in the film of the book. And I would like to say, you know, he also wrote the theme song and he sang the theme song <laughs> and, and did the poster himself and everything. Maybe he did. I don't know. Um, but I must but he does, you know, he does a great job of leading in this movie, though. Yeah. Um, oh, God, yeah. You know, I suppose he's playing a version of himself, but he does it very well. Um, and you feature, I'm going to get you to uh, tell me why. Do you have any other questions for me, counsel? Why? This is, this is your recommendation, wasn't it? Oh, that's um, right. I'm supposed to tell you why. Oops. Yes. So what, why? Tell us. Explain. Explain. Um, why, why did you choose this film to accompany The Substitute? I think I had seen the trailer for The Substitute, so that sort of uh, prompted it. And then I thought of a realistic, a very realistic classroom film that I had seen, and this this checked the box for sure. It felt, uh, it felt like it was going to work well together. I saw it... 
shortly after it came out. I think, uh, in fact, I had just taken, so this is a... Uh, this is one reason I remember it so well. I had just taken a group of students from American School of London to Paris. We did these three-day trips mm. to Paris uh, two or three years in a row. And uh, I had just been in Paris. I got back to London, and this was in the theater, and I went right to the movie and saw this mm. movie. And uh, I saw it with another teacher, and I was still in teacher mode for sure. Uh. And so watching this, I was I was frustrated with the students, the darn <laughs> students. So I found myself in the theater going, shh, shh, shh. <laughs> like trying to quiet the students. Um, and I just remembered it as being a great film because it felt so accurate. But I also, for me, it was interactive because I was trying to shut them up too. So um, I liked it. I thought it was good. But I, I did want to go back to it because, you know, in some ways I never thought this was uh, cinematic because it really takes place in largely, largely in the classroom. Um, so I wanted to have another look at it to see why it worked so well and why I did remember it. So it felt like it would work well with The Substitute just based on the trailer, which is a little bit odd because, as we mentioned when we talked about The Substitute, that trailer is not very uh, indicative of that film, <laughs> I don't think. So I don't know why exactly I thought, but uh, I went with uh, with uh, the class, yeah. Well, I, th- I, th- I think they, they complement each other really well. Yeah. I'll, I'll explain why I kind of think that. I've got a Venn diagram about that, so okay. I'll just explain that later. Okay, <laughs> let me, well, well um, I'm glad you chose it. I've never seen it before. Well, that is very teacherly. Like, the Venn diagram is the teacher's best friend. I, I'm doing one right now with my students, so very, very timely. Let me tell you, well, let me, let me tell you the story, then. I'll tell you the story, yeah? Please. So uh, La Classe sees uh, teacher Francois begin a new school year at a Paris inner city college. So he's teaching French to a class of 13 and 14 year olds. And the class has many disruptive members, uh, including the defiant Kumba, Bolshi Esmeralda, the aloof Suleiman. But Francois, he manages to more or less keep control of the class and they read Anne Frank together. He's correcting their grammar. They're working on a long-term project, getting the teenagers to write pen portraits of themselves. Until one day, Kumba and Esmeralda, who act as class reps in the teacher's session writing reports, they reveal that Suleiman has been labelled limited by the staff. Uh, and they kind of uh, they kind of shout this out during a lesson, and this results in some explosive behaviour, um, which leads to injury and then an expulsion. And as a result, both the students and their teacher must reassess what they think about life at the school, about each other, and about themselves. Wow. <laughs> Well done. I feel like I was reading that off the back of the DVD box. <laughs> <laughs> well, either they write well or you write well, because it's perfect. Yeah. That's a very good summary, as always, of this um, film. And did yeah. what this film really, really feels like a documentary. And I think, you know, and, and one of the main reasons it feels like a documentary is because it kind of is. Um, so uh, Big Ardo, he plays himself like a version of himself. The film is based on his own book. It's like a bit of, like a natural progression. Um, and the kids are played, I'm pretty sure, by non-professional actors. Uh, and I read that largely their scenes have been improvised. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of documentary aspects to this film, which give it, you know, its real veracity. And I've got to say, I've got to say the school itself. I don't know if you have any experience with European schools. I think this school... You know, in inner city Paris, supposedly in a deprived area that's struggling, this school looks really nice. You know, it's clean and it's 
new and it's light and it's you know it's not all smeared in graffiti. It's just really yeah. nice. The French look like they're comfortable spending money on education in this film, don't they? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, from that point of view, the documentary side of it, you know, paints a pretty good picture. I think mm -hmm. if you were in the French education business, you'd feel that the rest of the world would probably look fairly favorably on your industry. I, I think what you said about it feeling documentary is actually a real compliment because it's so well acted throughout. And I think it's because it's um, it's it. It's shot in a way where it does look like it could be improvised because the cameras are, most of them shots are pretty short shots and they're sort of just stealing little shots and moments of the students in the classroom and Francois. Um, but the acting is so great that it seems real enough to be just yeah. documentary footage. And I think that's a compliment to everyone. The teachers are great. The students are great. And it, it just seems like good acting just sort of inspires more good acting. Like you get a couple of great actors in there and they're just raising the bar for everyone. And I think it's really well done in that way. And I, I also just think this is a really well-written film in 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 very subtle ways that um, the substitute just is not. I think there's a very big difference here. <laughs> I mean, there's a kind of landscape of school cinema, especially in like kind of French and kind of European cinema. I mean, you know, there's the 400 blows um, yeah. you know, which has which has all those kind of great school scenes, but you know, but more recently, uh, when we've talked before about Etre et Avoir, which is a documentary about mm -hmm. um, school, La Haine, have you seen that? I have which seen is, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is about kind of your rebellious youths, uh, even um, Close, which we discussed a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, um, all kind of fits into that kind of landscape, and you know, all of those films, they're all kind of quite handheld, like you were saying. They all shot on location they're not studio based yeah. and I think you know, especially you know, this film the thing that really stands out to me the way that these subtle authentic performances are caught is through some fantastic editing yeah. this is like just the kind of film where a significant amount of the story is probably found in the edit and interestingly the editor on the film gets a writing credit uh -huh. so Robin um, Campillo who is the editor of the film. He also worked on Human Resources and he worked on Time Out. You know, he gets a written-by credit, though I suspect right. um, a lot of his writing contribution was probably from finding the story in the act of editing. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that is happening here. Um, but I also think that there, there's, there are a few moments that are just so perfectly laid out that it's obviously a good script too and a good memoir, a good story to base the whole thing. Yeah. Um, for example, like Suleiman early on, he's questioning Francois in class about his sexuality. Um, yeah. and it's kind of an uncomfortable scene and you just know that that's in the back of Francois's mind the whole time. And then there's, it makes the Suleiman discipline moment later on uh, seem a little bit like revenge. It's been set up, yeah. you know, tens of tens of minutes earlier, but it comes back. Um, and every little bit of frustration that um, Francois feels as he goes along, you, you can sort of feel it building up. We actually see other another student, another teacher, I'm sorry, um, sort of have this fit, just this breakdown about the students and complaining about the students. And, you know, in the, in the class, in the, the faculty meetings, they're talking about which students are good, which students are bad and all that. And you just sense Francois's uh, frustration as he goes along. He forces his Akumba to give him this bogus apology um, mm. and you know, he's frustrated even asking for it and you see him sort of losing his control over the students and kind of control over himself. And it just, it continues. It just builds, builds, builds beautifully. So I think, yeah, some of that's in the editing, but I think the, the, the initial plot points must be in whatever there was for a script as well. 
um, because it's very well done. There's, it's a real psychological portrait of a teacher. I think there were so many just totally realistic moments that, that I responded to and I've experienced as a teacher myself. And I, I think as a result, you know, that's a very authentic sort of write what you know kind of script. This is a guy who worked yeah. in a school. He was probably taking moments that he'd felt. He did a great job getting them done on paper and sort of squeezing it into this one classroom. Uh, story and it works really really well and I think because it's just a very carefully even if the lines weren't explicitly written or the dialogue wasn't spelled out um, the scenario is there and, and sometimes I think the French call a story a scenario right it'd be scenario yeah. by so maybe he started as a scenario and then the editor definitely pulls the story out and really accents it by just touching these moments that uh, and it's sort of emphasizing them so that the story comes together as a film and we can talk about the atmosphere a little bit because in some ways I think, does this work on stage? Because we're mostly in oh, one classroom. I think we talked yeah. beforehand that um, I can't name a single scene that takes place outside of the school grounds. No, I don't. Absolutely, there is not. There's the schoolyard. Yeah. Yeah, but that's as far as it travels. Exactly. Yeah. So it feels like it could be a minimal set uh, piece. It could be done on a stage, but it actually feels very cinematic. It's not that claustrophobia really works. And I don't think you'd have that claustrophobia in an audience with a lot of people watching. It would feel too open and too free. So I think actually the claustrophobia and the, the one set or the one location really works as, uh, as cinema here. Let's let's ring the spoiler bell because I want to talk yeah. about you know, okay. a couple of things that come up in the second half of the film. Perfect. So we'll ring the bell now. I always love this. Yeah. Oh, I do enjoy that. Mm. Um, I mean, I remember when I was first learning about this notion of how do you write a film and the word which used to befuddle me was structure. And I found it very hard to try and find a book that would actually explain what people mean by structure. But but you know, you've kind of really hit the nail on the head. What the, you know, the, the, this notion of the scenario um, is what the structure is. This film is really tightly structured for all it feeling, you know, all that it feels improvised and documentary like it's very tightly structured. There's like a first act with the start of the school year. You know, and that's that great scene where Francois gets a rundown of the kids that he's going to have in his class from another teacher. And he says, like, oh, yeah. he's nice. She's not nice. She's not nice. He's not nice at all. It's like, <laughs> worse and worse. And then, like, there's the, and then kind of act two starts, I think, with Kumba, this kind of bolshy kid refusing to read to the class. And that's like the first sign of this larger problem. Yeah. And then there's like a midpoint and it really is almost exactly halfway through the film where you have a parent's evening. And this is the first time that you get a glimpse into the children's home lives brought into view. The outside world comes into the class you know, and that kind of swings things in a different direction. It gives you more information. And then, then you know, act three starts with this scuffle, which kicks off in the class. It's, it's very, very nice. solidly structured. And that's what gives it that um, that sort of that. Um, you feel like you know where you are and you are you trust the people who are telling you the story yeah um and another thing um you know this is this is something which we can only discuss kind of post spoiler bell what i really love about this film what i love maybe most about it is the way that it explores that sort of it's like a cop movie trope where you know you see a cop movie and it turns out the cops and the robbers well they're both pretty similar here it's like the kids and the teachers are actually really similar yeah like, you know, they each have their own kind of like gossip. They have their own playground because the kids kick a ball around outside and the, the teachers have their own staff room. You know, they they have um, they both have scenes where they you know, whisper in each other's ears out of other people's earshot. Sometimes it's the kids whispering. Sometimes it's the teachers whispering to each other. Yeah. You know, in both 
both groups makes like similar areas of judgment. Yep. Don't they? Kind of the kids, you know, play up and take it too far. But then Francois also kind of takes it too far. And this this thing, which is sort of his downfall, um, is when, you know, he kind of, he loses his, his kind of temper and calls the girls who've given away what happened in the teacher's meeting skanks without really understanding what the kids think skanks means. And I must say, I'm not sure that I really know what that word means. It's not, not something that people say in England generally. Um, and then, so when he has to kind of submit a report about what happened and what started in the fight, what started the fight in the classroom, he, um, you know, he omits it from his report. Mm-hmm. And he kind of, he fails. To, and this is like, you know, his, his big weakness, which then kind of, you know, undermines his authority entirely. And then outside, like, you know, he confronts the children angrily in the classroom and says, oh, you know, you've, you know, you've got it all wrong. Um, you know, he's, he's, he is just as impetuous and volatile as, um, as Suleiman um, or Kumba. He's, you know, he, he's really similar. Um, and I think that's a very skillfully um, laid out little um, storyline there showing, you know, I think this is one, you know, one of the simple basic functions of art to show that one thing is like another. And here we get you know, this, this story that demonstrates that you know, the adult teachers and the adolescent children are kind of the same. You know, we're all people and we all make similar mistakes. You, you, I think you're exactly right. There's this discussion early on where they're accusing him of being elite or, uh, mm. or you know, very literary, I guess. And um, they think of themselves as being normal. And I think a lot of this film is based on his sort of, um, boy, his descent into almost uh, like high schoolish behavior or childish behavior. And the errors are just spelled out again and again. It's wonderful. You know, early on, he's uh, sort of mispronouncing names or not understanding their cultures very well. And he, at times, he insults them. He definitely, the bigger, you know, the insults sort of increase a little bit and his misunderstandings of the cultures increase as the film goes on to the point where he calls the girls skanks. Um, but he, all along, he has sort of um, disrespected them uh, bit by bit, just little things like not knowing their names or not really understanding their cultures or their religions. And it sort of, it gathers steam and he gets dragged into the um, the the high school behavior as opposed to, as a teacher, you really need to have a lot of control. And I think one of the things that frustrated me is how real it was um, that he starts to lose control and you sort of see that. And he's trying to honor them in some ways. Like the, the scene that gets violent in the classroom is because he's trying to have them come up and you know present in front of class, present an opinion and have this sort of more high-minded or serious debate. And he's trying to do something that's kind of fun for them or outside the box. And then it's because he loses control, it actually devolves into violence. And you just yeah. see his mistakes along the way. And it's it, they're so well set up throughout. And it, he and they're, they're also done in, in literary terms in some ways. Um, Early on, he says, Austria could vanish and no one would know the difference, right? <laughs> and then, yes. but one of the students corrects him and said, oh, I, you know, what about Mozart, you know? Um, so he, he's, he's assuming that they don't know stuff. And this is what I love about students in general and I love about filmmaking is you, you start to see the depth of characters in people that you didn't think had much depth or you, you've uh. made this dangerous assumption that they don't have depth. And that happens again and again in this film. Um, and there are these wonderful, the, the quotes in the film are great. The, the reading the Anne Frank, when the whole school is really, the whole classroom is really listening to the Anne quote, Frank, uh, Anne Frank quote, it's at the end of her diary and it, it, I'll paraphrase it's, she's talking about how no one really knows her then and no one ever will. And that's exactly right. what's going on in this story. Um, 
that, you know, I don't think he really knows the students. He doesn't know that they could get uh, sent back to their home countries if their father gets pissed off. And we see that because I think, is it one of the, I think it's a Chinese student. His mother has to be sent back to, mm, yeah. she gets deported. Um, so that, that menace again, if he gets Suleiman in trouble, he it's in the back of your mind because it's been set up really well. Um, and then the that staff meeting where the class representatives is really, it's frustrating at first because the class representatives are very disruptive and we're just dismissing them. And you feel like, yeah, he does want to call them a bad uh, name. But then it turns out that they're listening very carefully. They're doing their jobs very well. And again, he's <laughs> underestimated them and it comes back to burn him later on. And uh, one of my favorite parts was coming back to the literary thing at the end, Esmeralda talks about reading Plato's Republic. And he's, <laughs> yes. he's he's shocked that she would read this book. It would be in her house. But again, it's it's Socrates. You know, he, he considered himself the smartest one because everyone he asked didn't know what their intelligence was or couldn't explain how they were smart. And I think that it sums up the whole film very well in the sense that they all have an inherent intelligence. It's a different intelligence. And he doesn't always recognize it. And it leads him into more and more trouble because I think he thinks of himself as the smartest guy in the room. And as a teacher and an aging teacher, I realize I'm not the smartest guy in the room. And I think that's helped me a little bit because I really do try to honor, you know, just simple things like names and dignity. You can never, like, you can never um, starve a student of their dignity. You've got to honor it at all times um, because otherwise you're going to lead yourself into trouble. And it's just a beautiful film because he makes mistakes. He's vulnerable. He shows his ignorance. He shows his ugliness. And, you know, ultimately... He sort of pays for it by the end, but at the same time, uh, we kind of end up with, oh, next year is going to be a different school year, and the teacher mm. teachers are playing soccer with the students on the last day of school, and it's all going to happen all over again next year. But um, it felt, it just feels very real, and I just, I've made every mistake that he's made in this film. It really rings very true for me as a teacher, and I just think it's really well done, and the, the, the students' acting is also just phenomenal, and the other teachers are very, very normal and very natural in their um, acting in their scenes together too. So it's just really, really good film. I tell you what, I, this film really knows its audience, doesn't it? What it reminded me of is a British film called Paper Mask. I don't know if you've uh, ever seen that. Never, no. It's made about 30 years ago. It was a low-budget British thriller about a fake doctor, um, about a guy who's like a hospital porter who then just assumes a doctor's identity and starts working on the wards. Um, it's a terrific little thriller, Um but it especially appeals to medics mm. because there is kind of some plot points in the film which kind of rely on a bit of medical knowledge. And if you understand the background, it makes an awful lot more sense. It's one of those films which is a bit of a, a culty hit among doctors and nurses. Yeah. And um, this movie, La Classe, strikes me it's, it's like a teacher's movie which can be enjoyed by a lay audience. It could be enjoyed by anybody who's ever been to school. Yeah, but precisely. it will be especially enjoyed by teachers because, you know, it really keys into something quite fundamental and real about teaching and the experience of being in that job. Yeah, I agree. Well, I think, I think it's important that everyone's been a student, everyone's been a teacher on some level too. So I think it, it has a wide appeal for that reason. Um, there are a couple things that were really funny to me about the teachers, though, that I think I want to mention is that... <laughs> French teachers, too. Um, you know, they're talking about problems in the school, and then the teachers get all concerned with the escalating price of coffee. <laughs> and the, that is the, the most French thing possible, <laughs> isn't it? Yes. And the business, I think it's, it's what are they using, centimes or something? It's like 50 cents a, a, a cup. Um, and they're complaining. And the business manager's talking about how this coffee machine has to pay for itself. 
just this little detail. Um, so that was one thing. And then there was another scene that was just phenomenal because they were really talking about, I think, the deportation of the, I think it was a Chinese parent's um, Mm. Uh, one of the, the, the mother, I believe, had to leave the country. Um, and they sort of go right from that to all of a sudden this teacher who seems a little bit narcissistic. We don't see her too much on screen, but she, she announces she's pregnant. She takes that moment to announce <laughs> that she's pregnant. <laughs> so the shift is just immediate. And then all of a sudden a bottle of champagne comes out. And lo and behold, they have champagne and flutes on hand to actually drink <laughs> the champagne properly. And then she sort of goes, she slips back into, it's as if she remembers, oh my God, this was a sad moment. I want to acknowledge that she's, uh, you know, we've lost a parent uh, to deportation, but I'm pregnant. And then they all, you know, they, they toast and uh, move on. It's just, there's some very wonderful moments where you, you did get the sense that teachers get fried and some of them are not that interested in teaching and, and teaching in an urban school can be difficult. So I think everyone's treated with the same level of dignity and also um, almost sarcasm and, um, and yeah. And disrespect as well. They're disrespected in, in appropriate ways as well, I guess. Yeah. Uh. I mean, there is some interesting political content in the film, like which I did note down. I mean, it is interesting that the kids who are trouble are, I think, exclusively either immigrant kids or the children of immigrant parents. I'm not sure that you would see that in a British film. I, um, you know, there's a, a small number of kind of white European French kids yeah. who are like good as gold. Sure. And it's all these kind of brown kids who are kicking off. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm not sure that a, you know a, a British film would would. Um, portray life that way. It does yeah. feel um, very slightly uncomfortable. And it, it, and there's this other interesting attitude, um, which kind of is quite indicative of uh, kind of an attitude that I think sometimes European Union member countries are accused of. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes this kind of very Eurocentric or kind of Western-centric view that if um, the rebellious boy, Suleiman, is sent back I've written back in, in inverted commas in my notes to his village in Mali. Yep. Then the film assumes that this is like a death sentence. This is a disaster. Yeah. You know, it's impossible for the characters, for the teachers in the film to imagine that Mali might be a country with human inhabitants and it might have infrastructure and, and it might have an economy. And sure. Maybe he'd be perfectly happy and successful there. Yeah. Um, it's a kind of it's a very kind of Eurocentric view. Yeah. Um, but- you know, and again, I wonder, I, I, I don't know whether if the film was made in Britain, whether that attitude would pervade or not. I hope it wouldn't, mm-hmm. yeah. but maybe it would. But it's definitely prescient in, in the sense that, boy, this is 2008, filmed maybe 2007, 2008. Um, yeah. And certainly, you know, addressing immigration issues and attitudes towards immigration that are really coming to the surface now in, in across Europe, really. So, um, yeah, yeah. Ahead of the time in that way, it's... Um, it's effective. I think it's very effective. And there, there are some uncomfortable scenes for me as a teacher. Like we would never um, allow a student to translate, uh, to interpret for a parent. It's just, you can't do that because you just can't honor the, I mean, they're not skilled in that, in interpretation, but they're also not necessarily honestly uh, conveying the ideas of the, of the <laughs> teachers. And, you know, he's very, most of those conferences are quite negative. Um, he's giving mm. sort of negative reports. And I think, again, this sort of uh, sets up his fall. And it's not like a precipitous fall. He's definitely going to have a job, um, yeah. maybe because it's difficult to hire teachers for that school or maybe because uh, on some level, that's just what happens. Like they go through this whole expulsion uh, proceeding for 
Suleiman, it's kind of a foregone conclusion that Suleiman's going to get export, uh, expelled and then Francois will keep his job. Um, to the point where the principal even tells Francois, oh yeah, put that thing about the that you called the girl skanks in the report. You can go back and put it in there. It's not going to make a difference yeah. uh, because he had omitted it before. Um, so, I mean, it's sort of a foregone conclusion that Francois will be back and Suleiman not. Um, but um, it's, yeah, so it's, it's sort of admit that this is just going to keep happening. The wheels will just keep turning. It's yeah, cynical, but realistic. Yeah. Okay. Well, we've, we've seen, we've seen two films about teachers. Yeah. Um, I feel th- th- these films are begging for us to play our new favorite game. Who am I? Who am I? I can, I, I, I st- we've been doing this for weeks now and I still can't remember who's, who's supposed to go first. Yeah. I went first last time. I think you should go first. Well, I think you should go first. We know that you are always a doctor or some <laughs> medical person. I know I'm, I'm completely at sea because there aren't any doctors or nurses in this film. Well, what am I going to do? But someone coughed. Maybe you would be El Gineno, <laughs> the, the patient. Um, on my end, it's easy. You could point to any teacher on screen, and that is definitely who I am. I just felt like oh. uh, they all felt very authentic to me. Uh, the meetings, uh, Francois in the classroom... Uh, definitely, um, you know, like the joys and journeys and uh, difficulties of being a teacher. I think it was all there on screen. Um, Lucio left. I definitely felt very similar to Francois because, as I said, I've made all those mistakes um, and had some of those successes too. So um, I definitely probably respond more to Francois. But, yeah, I definitely understood what Lucio was going through. And any of the other teachers, the the teacher has a breakdown in the class and just <laughs> starts saying nasty things about the students. Well, I mean, that was the guy that I most identified with. He's like a technology teacher. He comes in and just like he just has a rant for five minutes in the staff yeah. room, doesn't and, he? And they let him go. They they realize he just needs to vent. You know, he doesn't get fired. He doesn't quit. You see him by the end of the film. He's still teaching. It happens. He's it still happens. Yeah, he's smiling at the end of the film, isn't he? Yeah. But yeah, absolutely. Because I, I have I have certainly had. Um, yeah, surgical lists where we've done like a whole bunch of children in a row and, you know, and they've all kicked off and none of them wanted to have to the injection and they've all fought and you know, they've all screamed. Yeah. And, yeah, one of those days where I think, oh my God. It happens. Um, yeah, so I absolutely saw that guy. But then, you know, happily, well, that guy goes back to work the next day and yeah, yeah. so do I. <laughs> so, so did you see yourself so, yeah. in anyone or anything, a student or a, or a teacher or anyone? Well, if, if, it's, if it's not the guy who... Um, as the uh, if it's not the guy who has the rant in the classroom, uh, then it's, it's the guy who's patiently explaining to everybody that they have to charge 50 centimes for coffee yeah. because 40 centimes. <laughs> I also sometimes have to do that. Yeah. Well, it's a- <laughs> when, when, you, when you have a patient who wants to have their entire operation awake without any anesthetic and you have to very patiently explain, I'm really sorry, I just don't really think that's practical. You'll need to have some kind of anesthetic before we cut you open. <laughs> yeah, but having to just very carefully explain every step because... Yeah. <laughs> Because somebody's not quite on your frequency. Yeah. Yeah, I've been a, that guy too. I was going to say, it's a film that's kind of largely free of any kind of technocrat whatsoever. It's, uh, it's all teachers mm, yeah. and creatives and, and students. And you don't, you don't get the sense that there's anyone, I don't know, medically inclined or technologically inclined. Even the technology teacher seems like he was having the, the meltdown. <laughs> so, yeah, I agree with you. I think that's a, a good character to be. He was, you know, in, in the insanity of teaching and a school and students, there's this one guy who's worried about getting the numbers right on the coffee machine. <laughs> and you need that guy. You need that guy for sure. You need that guy. Well, well let's, let's, um, let's do our, our 
synthesis, try and bring these uh, two films together. Mm-hmm. And this is where I get to bring in my promised Venn diagram analogy, oh, isn't it? Oh, let's go with it. Let's go with <laughs> so it. Yeah. I wrote in my notes here, these films are like a Venn diagram mm-hmm. where one is enclosed entirely within the other, is what I've written. Okay. Because so, Laclasse, you know, it's, basically it's all of the classroom scenes from The Substitute turned into a whole film. Yep. So um, it, it, it takes what I think is probably you know, the most interesting part of The Substitute uh, it throws away all of this slightly extraneous and cliched sort of drug plot yeah. um, and just concentrates on a teacher and some kids mm-hmm. uh, and then turns that into a whole film and is vastly more successful for it. Yeah. Uh, but you know, it begs the question, if these two films do have so much common ground, if one of them fits entirely with inside the other, why does one succeed so much while the other one largely fails? Can I answer that question? Is that for me? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm hoping you will, because I can't. I thought it was rhetorical. I thought it was rhetorical. This is the podcast where I set you up to say clever things. Yeah, well, I, I think that uh, it's funny because um, I think the substitute answers that question very overtly, but doesn't really do a good job of answering it somehow. So in the very early going, he says literature is useless, right? Or he questions the importance of literature. And the same conversation starts to happen a little bit in um, the class as well, because the students are sort of always, you know, wondering why should they be reading the stuff that he wants them to read and such. Um, and I think one is just much more literary than the other. I find like the, the class is, a, as we said, a well-written or a well-constructed or well-diagrammed or well, you know, scenarioed uh, film. Mm. Uh, all the pieces are there. It builds to something. And we talked about you could take any scene in The Substitute, put it in any order, and it wouldn't really make much difference because the storytelling is just not there. So I, I think at the heart of the two is literature, oddly, which bookends The Substitute, even though they never really go into it and they never really produce, I don't think the writers ever produced a really solid piece of literature. I mean, film writing is, right. I have always considered it a very low form of literature, but that's why it's the only writing I can do. But um, I think it is literature. Um, and I think uh, Francois's piece here um, is, it really is. It's, it's a well-told story. It's manageable. It's, again, he was a teacher. I suspect that the guys who wrote The Substitute or the guys and gals who wrote The Substitute were not teachers, so they didn't have that experience. But he's writing what he knows. Um, he writes yeah. it well. And I think actually writing and writing, you know, this we don't talk about this too often, I guess, but because we're writers, but... Writing really does make a difference. This is one of those pairs of films where you can really see the difference yeah. uh, in the writing. And honestly, again, I, it's funny because cinema writing is really about pictures. And it seems like the editor gives us the story through the pictures here. Um, and that it's not really a cinematic film, Laclasse, uh, because it's just so talky. It's one location for the most part. Yep. Um, yep. But as literature, it's fantastic. Mm, yep. That's my I mean, answer. And the best I could come up with is it's... Um, I think where where the literary differences in the film really come to the fore are basically with the characters, isn't it? The characters in La Classe, they're you know they're convincing, they feel real. Yeah, you know, they, I mean they are real. Yep. But whereas the characters in the substitute are largely they're kind of they're superficial, they're sort of archetypes. They are without yep. 
depth, aren't there? Yeah. You know, and there are a bunch of great scenes in The Substitute. And, you know, the, the directing is fine insofar as if a director's job is to produce scenes, there are many f- perfectly good scenes. I mean, I really enjoyed that chase sequence with the horses. Yeah. You know, the scene in the kitchen where, where Dylan has to choose, well, shall I reveal about the poison or not? You know, yeah. it's, oh, they're good scenes. Yeah. But, but the script hasn't kind of sewn those scenes together with, with good characters. Yeah. Uh, Lucio, and the, he's just not a particularly well-rounded central character. And so the film around him feels full of holes. You know, story is about character, isn't it? That's the whole thing. It's about character. And if you can't hit the notes with the character, the story is going to fail. Yeah. And the levels of, I would say the levels of believability between these two films are vastly different. Like everything in the class is believable. Um, you have to suspend a lot of disbelief in, in the substitute because I didn't, you know, I don't really believe the students in that film very well. I definitely yeah. didn't believe the teacher or the El Chileno or the, the, the cops or, you know, there's very little that was, you know, really earnest and believable in the substitute. I wrote a little a little note at the bottom of my list here. Um, yep. Do you subscribe to like a streaming service? Do you, you have Spotify or or um, Apple Music or yes, I yes, I it's Spotify. I, yeah. I, ah, so so I um, only fa- I only fairly recently caught up with the twenty first century and signed up to Apple Music. And this week it was serving me up disposable heroes of hip hop. Oh, I love the disposable this heroes. Is. Lucky you. <laughs> so it's like early sort of Michael Franti outfit. Uh, from like 1991, you know, terrible rapping, but commendable socialist politics. Yes. And um, and one thing like he mentioned, I made a little notice, he mentions it's a particularly obtuse rhyme, but it's but it, you know, it's an interesting fact that only 10% of Americans read books daily. That's right. He says, and this was like 1991. I don't know what the figure is now. I'm guessing it's maybe even lower than that. I don't know. People don't like to read. No. You know, it's, the way the substitute talks about what's the functional literature, whether literature has a function or not is almost moot because literature doesn't touch most people now. Mm-hmm. People don't like to read. Um, and, you know, the people who don't like to read also includes people who largely work in the film business. And it's difficult to persuade people to read a script all the way through. Yeah. And as a result, film scripts get worse and worse. Um, mm-hmm. Black Class, it's a, you know, it's a very well written movie. Um, and The Substitute sadly is not. Um, and I suspect this may be indicative of an, of an underlying trend in the art. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> Well, you're, you're so right. either chat yeah, GPT I th- I think, will save us or we'll all let's just give up now. Yeah, well, I think good readers become good writers. So if you if you read good scripts, oh. you learn how to do it and you become a better writer. And I do believe that with a you know mostly texting generation, we probably aren't going to see the same kind of good details in writing and the same quality of scripts. And you know, having said that, most scripts are crap to begin with anyway. So it's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> very few diamonds in the rough. Uh, writer's strike on at the moment, so there's even fewer diamonds coming to the surface at the moment. Precisely. So th- this is the, the point about Netflix that I was talking about much earlier on was that, you know, here's a film that didn't make any money internationally. Um, I imagine Netflix shells out a little bit for it. In the budget, I, I didn't see the budget for the for um, the substitute online, but no, this either. seems like a good uh, business model in the sense that you're picking up something for next to nothing and it seems to me like it's just about having data and having product that will direct you to something else so you know in an ideal world they'd have the substitute and then somewhere they'd also have um the class and you'd be sort of directed to the class from the substitute um but otherwise i don't see why i mean i don't know if they even watched this film before they bought it they probably just felt figured you know this is cheap product let's get it let's put it up and then let's um you know indicate to something else based on this film 
You would imagine someone at Netflix is responsible for watching the films before they sign the check. Surely oh, someone is. Someone is. Well, and, and I'll tell you what, there are worse films than this on Netflix. Yeah. Or far worse. Yes. Well, I'm sure we're, we're bound to get it tracked and see them eventually. <laughs> I, t- I promise you I can find far worse and I'll be putting them on the Two Real Cinema Club. Okay, we, we've just got time to talk about also playing at this theatre. This time I'm definitely going to make you go first. I have one. What have you got? I have one, I have one and it's terrible. So... Um... <laughs> Because of the Two Real Cinema schedule, I actually ended up watching three films last week and one film that turned me away from the cinema for quite a while the week before. <laughs> so um, I wa- And I've been traveling a lot, so I watched a film on a bus um, <laughs> called uh, Super Intelligence. It features the, mostly the voice of Jamie Corden and Bobby Cannavale and then Melissa McCarthy is the lead. Uh, Super Intelligence, it... It's about sort of uh, artificial intelligence taking over and trying to put an end to the world because it's mad at humanity, and that's voiced by James Corden. And <laughs> Melissa McCarthy is the one, for some reason, has chosen to... He's he's chosen her, or the, the intelligence, has chosen her to, I guess, like prove to him that, or prove to it that um, humanity is worth saving and... It's not a very good film. I'm glad I saw it on a bus. I actually, you know, honestly, honestly, I was sleeping a lot, so I didn't watch all of it, and then um, uh, it didn't impress me too much. So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna suggest that anyone sees Super Intelligence, but it did come out just a few years ago. It's fairly fresh, 2020 maybe. Is, is, was it that one of those times when you're not sure whether that sensation of nausea is from the movement of the bus? <laughs> Or the quality of the movie. <laughs> well, throw in a third variable. I was getting quite sick as I was watching it, so and that was physically ill. So I don't think the film made me ill, but there was just this confluence of negative feelings. And I don't know, a film with James Corden and Melissa McCarthy about AI. I think I think maybe you just dreamt this film. I don't think that actually exists. It, it exists. I had, as a matter of fact, I wasn't sure if I dreamed it, so I did go back and check for it on IMDb. <laughs> And I, you know, I love, I love uh, Melissa McCarthy. She's hilarious. Bobby Cannavale is one of my favorite uh, sort of character actors. I think he does a great job. But it's just the material. The material is really bad. I, I know just the suspicion omission of James Corden from your list of favorites. There, <laughs> two out, two out of three, not bad. Two out of three. Well, I'm, I'm less familiar with his work. I do enjoy some of his funny stuff, like with the car, the car gags. What is it called? Car, car, car karaoke. Karaoke. Yeah, karaoke. He's enormously unpopular in the UK. Everybody despises him in the UK. We were so delighted when he went uh, went to the States. <laughs> and now he's coming back, isn't he? So we're so disappointed. Yes. Um, well, I have got you beat this week because okay. this week we, we watched Raiders of the Lost Ark. Ooh. Uh, so for 15 years, I think, since my daughter was born, I've been mentally planning, or oh, one day, you know, all the kids will be old enough, we'll be able to watch Raiders of the Lost Ark together. You know, in my humble opinion, the greatest action adventure movie of all time. Oh, wow. Um Still great fun. Uh, still very enjoyable to watch. Um, we finished it quite late at night. Everyone bundled it off into bed. And then at breakfast, I asked my daughter, so what did you think of uh, the movie last night? And she told me, that was the most racist film I've seen in my life. <laughs> uh, oh. So, oh, shucks. Yes, actually, probably it is. Yeah. And I felt like telling her, you should have seen some British television comedy from the 1970s. If you, want to see, uh, if you want to see racist oh. entertainment, it gets worse than that. But uh, yes, I suppose it is. It is. 
fatty racist. What a, what a caring father, though. You prepared it for so long, and then you executed, and then you involved trying to get feedback, and then your heart was kind of broken. <laughs> Heartbroken again. That's teenagers. <laughs> yes, that's what we've learned this week. Ah, teenagers. <laughs> There's so a theme to the show, after all. Right, uh, this has been the Two Real Cinema Club. Next week... Uh, oh, next week we're talking about some nonsense at the popcorn counter. Yeah. The week after, uh, we are watching Bo is Afraid, the new Ari Aster movie, mm-hmm. um, which you've seen and I haven't seen yet. So, I'm, so that's just being released in the UK this Friday. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. We are comparing it to... Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump. Yeah. The, is that Rob Zemeckis classic with um, Tom Hanks? Tom Hanks. So let's see how that pans out. In the meantime... Um, uh, well, I suppose we've both got some lessons to prepare and some homework to mark. Yes, we better sign off. We better sign off until next time. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you next time. Bye. Ring that school bell. <laughs> <laughs>